Like many of you, I'm curious about several topics, and what better way to learn than to speak directly with the people who have the answers that you're looking for? My name is Costa. Welcome to Founder Views. That's what this channel is all about. You're going to hear me pick the brains of thought leaders, CEOs, politicians, and business experts about subjects that I'm thinking about or working on at any given time. From economics, business, real estate investing, Bitcoin, lifestyle, politics, and much, much more. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. You know, I, I've been an, an online entrepreneur my entire life, uh, specifically in the yep. SaaS space, and I'm also a non-technical founder. So I, I would love to steer this conversation from the lens of either a non-technical SaaS founder or, or any entrepreneur that's not very technical that is entering or thinking about developing a software or or an online product or service. So sure. You just yeah. described about half of our client base. So we do <laughs> this all the time. Perfect. Yeah, great. So, so let, let's start from the point of assuming the, the entrepreneur has a great idea. They validated the idea. There's, there's product market fit. And now it's just a matter of building the thing. So, so there's this non-technical entrepreneur with his ideas with mock-ups ready to go. So what's the first step that entrepreneur should take? Yeah, that's a great question. We we like to start with what we call a design session, and and it's it's not just one hour of a workshop, but it it covers anywhere from a week to sometimes as much as four weeks. And during that design session, we do a lot of the things that you know, obviously, we think are helpful before you build the product. Um. The, one of the first places we start is with a business canvas. We want to understand as, so at Codexitos, we're builders. We work with clients like this and they come to us and it's a lot of arm waving and they're like, hey, you know, how, long, how long is this going to take and what's it going to cost? So the first thing we do is we get a business canvas in place and we want to know who our audience is, who the personas are. Now, in some cases, like you mentioned in your intro, uh, they've done a lot of that work. And that's great. It speeds the process along. Uh, but if they haven't, we want to get really focused on that. The other thing that our design teams really obsess about is what is the most essential piece of your solution that you need to get clients locked into using the platform? Um, you know, you don't want people, you need people to convert and stay converted. You know that you're a SaaS entrepreneur. And what we typically find is that entrepreneurs come in and they come in with about five years worth of ideas. And it's like, hey, we're not saying you can't build all of those things, but it's going to take five years. When we get into the market, what's the one thing we want? And um, once we dig around and we we go through a whole lot of brainstorming about that, but once we get down to like, what the, what is the essential gee whiz thing here um then we're ready to really start doing the engineering design and some of the ux ui design but but we want to get right down to the like the most essential piece yeah yeah i think that's that's very important for sure so so you identify that central piece that you, you know that one thing that that one value prop that you're going to be uh, essentially pitching to your potential clients um Yep. And, and 
you know, I think that's very important too, from, from just uh, like an MVP point of view, um, mm-hmm. you know, establishing product market fit and, and validating uh, the product as well to, to your audience. Uh, assuming that's done though, you, you validated it. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. what's, what's sort of the first step in the actual development phase? Okay. Uh, different, different. You know what? Let me let me let me rephrase that. I want to speak to like SaaS uh, products specifically, so like yeah. you know, web-based SaaS products, because that's a lot of the listeners here are, are in the SaaS community yeah. and a lot of non-technical yep. folks. So, so if everything you've established, you you just spoke about uh, is complete, now from the actual execution, the development, like wh- where do you where do you start? Is it UI? Do you get programmer development? Like what's the uh, we start we start with UX and that sort of blends into UI. Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll clarify those in a in in just a couple of minutes. Yeah. But if you want, we can come back to a really useful example of the first point in the MVP with uh, talking about Uber. But to answer your question right here on the table now, um, we start with the user experience, like what. And that's not how it looks. That's the UI, the, the colors and logo and stuff, the screens, those, that's UI work. But first we start with the user experience. How does, how is this user going to, you know, work with a app? I'll give you a really specific example. And it's a SaaS example. Um, we're building a SaaS platform for a company called materially and, uh, materially is in the aggregates business. They, they help aggregate. Uh, suppliers get loads of stone and sand and potentially asphalt out to construction sites. So it's a, it's a multi-sided SAS model. And one of the personas are uh, truck drivers and they have to use a mobile app and truck drivers have very specific um, requirements and even limitations on the UX, how they use it. it you know, they're, they're not going to dig into it like a millennial would on a, on a SaaS product. Um, so we start with the user experience, we get that defined and then kind of in tandem, the UI is, is getting done, but we really only want wireframes. So we don't do a lot of high fidelity work yet, but once we've got a feel for what the experience needs to be and the design is going to look like, uh, as it, as it matures over the course of the project, uh, then the developers start on it. And we have, at CodeExitos, we have a very specific design uh, process in, in coding, and we call it thin slicing. And what that means is we want, as quickly as possible, we want to get a complete end-to-end transaction working. It may not have all the features and options on it, but we want to know what it, what the technical requirements are to go all the way through the system, if you will. And uh, as you know, in SaaS platforms, uh, a lot of times SaaS platforms, especially B2B platforms, have tons and tons and tons of business conditions and exceptions and rule-based handling and all that other stuff. We do that later. Uh, but first we wanna get the basic sort of, we can sometimes call it the happy path or the golden path what's this thing look like? And then from that, the engineers have a better idea of the total level of effort that's going to be required to get the thing built. So 
that's kind of a starting point. I'll, I'll take a beat and uh, see if you have questions. Yeah. Okay. So, so, the, so that thin slicing, is that essentially just like UI prototypes stitched together or? No, no, it's, we want, we want a complete transaction to go through the system. So let's go back to materially as an example. Um, it's not a hard business concept to understand if I'm a contractor, uh, I have a contract with the, the stone provider for, let's say, 100 tons of stone. And that 100 tons of stone is going to get delivered in 50 different truckloads. Okay, great. So a truck driver, party number three, goes to the stone quarry, party number two, picks up the stone and delivers it to party number one, the contractor. Pretty simple. That's what we want to get done in a thin slice. We want to take one order, put the order in, have it approved by the second party, have it notify the third party, have the third party show up and then demonstrate. And this is all obviously mocked, mocked up or it's in a test case. So we've basically run the transaction all the way from front to back. Now, most people like, like our client materially uh, would say, wait, but there's all kinds of things like, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's bad weather and the guy can't pick up the stone or he picks up too much stone or he delivers it to the wrong place. All of those exceptions will build in later. But the first thing in the concept of the thin slice is the, the core perfect transaction of the system gets operational first. And you can think of that sort of as the spine of the logic. Uh, that's in the system. And then we build out all of all of the exceptions and, and requirements become ornaments then on that spine. Okay. So it's, it's real code and it's really oh, working. Okay. It's just not, it's so just that, not production. Okay. Ask, like it's, it's actual real code. It's not just like a wireframe and, and like a mock-up. Correct. It's real code. We, we want real code. Now it, it looks like a super skinny stripped down version of the entrepreneur's vision. But what that does is it provides the engineering team uh, a front to back view of, hey, how are we going to get this data up in the database and how do we read it out of the database and how do we present it on the mobile app? And all of these fundamental things have to get worked out. And most systems, most SaaS systems now have interfaces. So they have an API that has to connect to you know, an accounting system or scales or something. And we want to get those figured out too, because you know it's it's like eighty percent of the work happens in the last twenty percent of the feature delivery. So we want to flip that model and make sure that we know where all the problems are early. Uh, so we're focusing our our work efforts in in the tough spots. Yeah. Right? Okay. So that that's interesting. So so then when does the the actual UI then take place? Is that after this thin slicing? <clears throat> Yeah, and it kind of runs on a parallel track. Um, with component-based development, it's pretty easy for the development team, the coders that are writing business logic to swap in and out UI components. So um, our UX UI team starts early and they deliver you know, we, clients are really good at iterating through that because they're seeing something. So they're starting to see high fidelity um, 
they're not even really mock-ups. It's just, it's the high fidelity artwork that will then get passed to the developers. It, it almost looks like the real, the real app, um, but there's no coding behind it. So we use Figma or yeah. some of the tooling out there now. And when that's done, then the developers kind of, I know they'll, they'll hate me for making it sound so simple, but they can sort of drop that into the code pretty easily uh, while they're working on all the backend business logic. So it's not first, second, third for us. It's really kind of a simultaneous set of work streams. And uh, again, as the, now as the product owner or the entrepreneur starts to, and this is the other thing that we think is really important, Costa, is that we think it's really important that the entrepreneur gets working demos as soon as possible. So it's not unusual for us to be demoing working software, you know, within the first couple of weeks or the first couple of sprints. Now it might not do much, but once the entrepreneur, technical or otherwise, it doesn't matter. Once it starts to be something you can touch and, you know, look at and use, uh, more ideas typically start flowing out of that. So then we have an iteration cycle going yeah. on. So we want to keep that feedback loop really, really tight, really, really fast from mm -hmm. seeing something work and making edits and having those edits implemented by the next time you see the next demo. So, yeah. Um, that's, that's true. How, that's how we you can actually it. like feel and touch it and see, click things, and it actually starts moving around. Like you can actually, uh, it's uh, yeah, you can just get more ideas, and that that makes sense for sure. Um, and for, for your for your, yeah. go ahead. No, 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 go. I was just going to say for for the audience, and especially for the non technical um, entrepreneurs that you you have in your audience, it's really important to get functionality as fast as you can so you can see that your team's producing it. It's, it's really, really easy to get seduced into looking at, at mock-ups and looking at design documents and picking colors and moving buttons around. And you can exhaust, it's all important, but you can exhaust a huge amount of your budget and timeline just chewing up, you know, picking the picking the window dressing and we've, we've taken over projects uh, where, you know, the entrepreneur spent a lot of time doing that and then found out that the team either couldn't produce the working code behind it, or it was a, it was a mess when they produced it or it didn't work. Um, so the, the, the takeaway is don't overinvest in the aesthetics of the software until you're really comfortable that the the functionality is going to get delivered. Makes a lot of sense for sure. And in terms of the development side, like once uh, the, the UI mm -hmm. is coming together, like are, are the developers working in lockstep or do you need a good chunk of the UI uh, done first? Or when does the actual development start to uh, develop in the back end? Um, it depends. Uh, they tend to work in, in tandem. Like we, we usually have in a development team, we'll have one or more designers as part of the team and they understand quite a bit of code. And then the developers understand quite a bit of design. 
so I would say it's mostly happening happening simultaneously. SaaS platforms in particular have a lot of stuff that happens with basically no interface. You know, it's stuff in the cloud, it's cloud formation, uh, database management, that sort of stuff. So the teams that are working on those components of functional code really don't have a lot of, you know, need or interest in the, in the pretty stuff and the designer yeah. stuff. Okay. Now, is there always a need for both a front end and back end developer? And like, what's the difference between the two? That's, that's a really, that's a really good question. And it's a really good topic. Um, there are two things that get talked about in the industry a lot, and we don't use them at code Exitos. And one is, are you a front end developer or a back end developer? Um, we want people that are just good developers. Now they gravitate and they say, Hey, I really like producing, uh, visual effects and interfaces and that sort of stuff. Great. You know, work on the front end. Other people are like, Hey, I really love writing APIs. And so I guess that's a back end function. Um, but we don't make that distinction. And the other one we don't make is we don't make distinctions about junior developers and senior developers. So they're, they're good and they have some level of experience and they have some level of skill, but uh, junior and seniors doesn't, it's not a very meaningful descriptor, but, uh, but you need both. Uh, you need both. You need someone who's comfortable, you know, building UI pieces and, and, what we would call front end. And, um, you know, most teams have at least one or two people that just love working on the, the stuff under the hood, you know, the back end. And, uh, so we, it depends on the project and the team size, but we usually see people allocating the work generally along those lines. So the, the typical, like then development stack is like a UI, uh, designer, a front end and back end developer. Is that generally accurate? Yeah. Yeah. We, so, so when you say a typical stack, do you mean like the team composition? Yeah. 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 Um, we have at least a project coordinator, uh, on the, on the thing we can talk about their job in a minute. Um, and then there's a designer or a fractional designer. A lot of applications don't need a full-time designer. And then, yeah, at least, at least two devs and they split the work. Now we see almost every SaaS application we do, we build it in kind of an API based architecture and, and microservices. So it just makes the, it makes the product easier to maintain on long-term. So, but yeah, generally, if you were saying, hey, what are you working on? One person's going to be working on implementing the UI and um, somebody else is probably working on the back end stuff. So, yeah, that's fair. Okay. Is it ever possible? Now, I, I want to come at it from the lens of like a non-technical founder um, just sure. trying to make these hires on their own, right? Just build the team on their own. Um, mm -hmm. So is, is it... Is it possible to, like, what's a full stack developer? Is it is that someone who does both front end and back end? So can you technically just have one developer then if you want to, like, you know, you have a budget or what are your thoughts there? Um, you can, and the answer is yes. That's what a full stack developer is. Somebody who says they're familiar with, you know, doing all of it. 
uh, and they're out there, they exist. Uh, you can, you can get one person and have one person do that. So it's possible. Um, the project's probably going to build pretty slowly. And, um, so that's, you know, that's the caveat there. Are there any other Excuse negatives me, I think other than the time it would take to develop? Well, yeah, I mean, so you become, it's a single point of failure. It's a single risk. Um, and we, you know, we see this too, uh, you know, even co-founders, you know, somebody, a lot of times we will get entrepreneurs come to us and they say, yeah, our, our co-founders, the technical guy, almost always men, um, which is kind of a bummer, but, um, but yeah, you know, they'll have a falling out. And now, so the CTO or whatever title we had, uh, is gone and they're in, we just had somebody we were helping. This was exactly their problem. Uh, the guy became, uh, let's just say problematic in the business and the board had to oust him and nobody knew what he'd been doing. And so they had to have somebody come in, you know, us come in take a look. And it was kind of, it was kind of junk. Um, it was, yeah. So he was sort of, because he was working alone, there was nobody for him to bounce ideas off of or no one to push back on approaches or some other things that happened. And, uh, and they've, they've got a big size mess on their hands. Um, so yeah, I, a single developer is just a pretty high risk thing. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, and what are, what's the typical, um, like language now, like, you know, you know, this stuff's always changing and evolving, but like, what's, how should a SaaS be built like in terms of language nowadays? Yeah. Um, I like that question for non-technical founders, especially to understand that programming languages sort of come and go in waves. They're, they're in fashion and they're out of fashion. And, and so right now the, probably the runaway favorite and kind of our default is JavaScript. And, uh, we use a, and we use a variant, uh, called TypeScript. So that's very common backend functions. A lot of times will be built in Python. Um, so you'll see that you'll hear that, uh, come up very, uh, frequently. One thing that happens is, well, here, here's a really important context for people to keep in mind. If you're building a SaaS platform, you're going to live with this thing for five to 10 years. So that's a long time. And if you or, or you let your team pick some sort of marginal language, um, even if it's a good language, then what you're setting up is a long-term business issue that it's going to cost, it's going to cost you more to maintain that marginal language in the future, just because there won't be as many people that understand it. And, um, so I think when you're evaluating how you're going to build the product, the question isn't really so much around what language are you using, but more along the lines of, is this a widely supported language? Is there a large body of people who use this and contribute to the development yeah. of the language? And that just means it's easier to maintain over the long term. Um, so 
that's this concept that we, we sometimes refer to as technical debt. Um, so, I, I, but yeah, we, we tend to be a JavaScript, uh, C sharp, Python. We like to hit them right down the middle of the fairway. Those are all wildly popular. And, uh, our business model is that eventually we turn the code over to our clients and as they grow their business, they take on their own staff and, and then we move the code to them. So we want their future hires to be coming from as big a skill pool as possible. And is, is there a specific common codes for both front end and back end? So for example, if you're hiring a front end developer, like what's the common, is there a common language for front end specifically? Yeah. Um, well, JavaScript is really popular and what you'll hear when you're talking to developers or if you're reading resumes or you're going on the job boards and looking, um, people will talk about a language and they'll talk about a framework. And so a language would be JavaScript and a framework would be React or Angular or one of those. And frameworks are extremely common these days. We do a lot of React and React Native, for example. And what a framework does is for non-technical people, I describe it as kind of a set of templates or macros that are, you know, sort of pre-built for really common development functions. So usually you'll say, you'll hear someone say, oh, uh, I built this in React. What they're really saying is they, they it's coded in JavaScript using the React framework. Um, so you have sort of right. two layers that you want to parse okay. out there. Yeah. So for frameworks, um, uh, React and Angular are the common? Yeah, Angular is kind of fading. Um, in a, in our opinion, it's okay. we prefer React to it uh, over Angular. Uh, we do some work with Vue, uh, which is another framework. It's called Vue.js, so it's a framework in JavaScript. And there, you get into some subtleties. We'd have to get my CTO on the on the uh, call here if we wanted to get into the, the detailed differences, but. Again, even with the framework, you want to make sure that your your team is working in something that's broadly accepted. Um, a lot of programmers, by the way, just sort of gravitate toward, especially the solo programmer that you mentioned, Costa, but they, they tend to gravitate toward whatever bright, shiny object has got their attention. Because it's like, oh, wow, you know, I think this is really cool. I'm going to use this language because it's new and it's cool. And you can get in, you know, It'll work, but the long-term maintainability of it could be questionable. Right. And and for uh, for backend develop for backend language, uh, Python is the the common. Yeah, right? yeah. That's um, we saw that really take off. Uh, a lot of AI work and machine learning work uh, is done in Python, and it just became wildly popular. So databases and database manipulation, cloud stuff. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of Python out there. I, I can see one of the, um, again, for a, non, from a, for a non-technical person, you're, you're hiring uh, some resources and stuff uh, to develop your app. 
Uh, one thing that I can see very overwhelming and challenging uh, is like just like the back end infrastructure, like setting up the servers and, and that type mm-hmm. of uh, setup. So like, can you give any uh, advice or tips on, on like, you know, what to look for, what to do? Is there, is that a separate hire in itself or is that like the back end developer taking care of that setup or what, what does that look like? It, well, it depends on budget, right? Um, if you're bootstrapping the thing, the budget's probably different than if you have a $5 million, excuse me, a $5 million seed round uh, that you're, you're using. Yeah, we're talking from a back, bootstrap lens. Like, let's, let's not talk okay, about Okay, so bootstrapping. Right? Okay. Yeah, you know, uh, we, would, we would consider a well-rounded back-end developer to have some experience in cloud formation and cloud use. So there are really only three clouds that you're going to consider. Um, Amazon, AWS, uh, Microsoft Azure, or Google, um, Google Cloud Platform. Um, we tip, we work in all of them. Um, I'll kind of, I'll kind of give you my spiel on what they are. If you're tar- if you're building a SaaS platform and your target customer is a large enterprise, say a Fortune 1000 or a Global 5000 company, you probably want to look really hard at Azure because your clients are almost always going to have a huge installed base of Microsoft product and Microsoft Cloud. So if you need to be incompatible in that sort of global Microsoft footprint, then Azure makes a lot of sense. Um, AWS is the biggest still. Um, And then Google Cloud. We see more entrepreneurs using Google Cloud. We're not big fans of it. Um, Google Cloud. AWS allows us to get a little... um, more granular in the services and a little closer to the tech infrastructure, bare metal, if you will. Um, Google Cloud is serviceable, though. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not our not our jam. Um, but backend developers should should have a pretty good idea of what services are out there and how to use them. And you can think of the way I like to explain the cloud services uh, to clients is it's like a giant Lego set. And each little brick is a different service or capability. Let's say having your users sign up and log in. Okay. All of that code is already built and managed in the cloud. All three cloud services have those Lego bricks available. So your development team really needs to understand what kind of bricks you have in your Lego set. You know, do you have the, sorry to nerd out on Legos, but I love them. That's a great great, uh, analogy. Yeah. You know, and so if you have this Star Wars Lego bricks in the bucket, um, building a tree house isn't going to be so easy. You can do it, but it's probably not going to look much like a tree house. But if you have the tree house set, my granddaughter loves the tree house set of Legos. Um, You know, she's not going to build a Millennium Falcon with it, though. She can, she can build something that she says is the Millennium Falcon. So, so that's the way to think about when you're talking to your developers about picking the cloud service. It's like, hey, do I have, um, does this give us access to the, to the Lego bricks that we need to build our 
our product. So is it safe to say, like for for just the average SaaS company, like not, you're not selling to Fortune like 1,000 companies? Um, AWS is probably the way to go with like the most common bricks and Lego pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's 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 where we go with it. Yeah. Um, a client that comes to us and says, "Hey, I don't care." Uh, you guys pick the tech stack. You're going to go. AWS. We're probably going to be. We're probably going to build it on AWS using JavaScript and one, you know, one of maybe two frameworks. There will be some Python in the back end, and uh, we'll be really disciplined about how we build and maintain the code. Yeah. What are What are some of those common uh, like Lego? bricks you can say uh, that every like most SaaS companies do need like you know the, the login uh like forgot password stuff like what else is there uh databases logins and databases um dashboard capabilities you know somebody says hey i want i want graphs my client's going to want graphs of how many tons of concrete we moved every day or tons of stone we moved every day those kind of graphing libraries visualization um, AI and machine learning algorithms, um, you know, startups, unless you're literally an AI startup, if you want to have AI capabilities or machine learning capabilities in your SaaS platform, um, you're not going to write those from scratch. You know, you're going to go out and use, um, the libraries of AI and machine learning algorithms that exist in one of the cloud providers. So that's that's a handful of the Lego bricks that you yeah. look at. So so is it safe to say then that like the backend developer is really like utilizing a lot of these uh, like bricks? I'm, we're calling them bricks, but like these services from AWS. Yeah, they're services. Just like kind of stitching mm-hmm. everything together rather than like writing their own code. Um. Ye- yeah, the reason I'm pausing is that, yeah, that's uh, that's generally correct. There's still a lot of local code that needs to be written. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you want you're going to have a pretty high dependency on on these external services. Hmm. Okay, you mentioned um, API based infrastructure. Can you just explain mm-hmm. that? Like, what is that? Like a non technical person, I'm sure does not have yeah. no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah, APIs APIs are a way for two pieces of software that are written for completely different purposes uh, to exchange information in a controlled way. So if my software wants to look up your name and address from your software, uh, I don't want to write code that goes directly into your software because then if you change your software and you move where you're storing the name and address then my software breaks and i don't know why mm-hmm. so we agree to write uh, to exchange this information through what's called an api which is an application programming interface so if anybody's <laughs> if anybody's at a cocktail party and they want to drop some tef- tech <laughs> talk and sound like they're a tech founder they can um But I would write an API that says, hey, Costa, I need the name and address. And I would write that request in a way that your API would say, oh, sure, Carlos, I understand what you're saying. Here's the data. And then I can do whatever I want with the data. So I'm just we're just asking questions through a common 
uh, defined interface. Yeah. Um, and so like in, inter in integration work, um, those APIs can become even strategic pieces of, uh, of the code. We have a client whose SaaS platform um, does a lot of visualization of corporate data. And of course, they're, one, their clients wouldn't give them direct access into their code. And, and two, you could never, you'd only ever have one or two clients and you'd collapse under the weight of doing it. So there's everything's defined through an API layer. And uh, it takes a little more architecture and a little more thoughtfulness in the coding, but you get a lot more flexibility out of it in the long run. Are a lot of, uh... So should, should, if you're, again, if you're hiring a backend developer, should, should, uh, like a prerequisite be like this person should have a good handle on API infrastructure and development? Yeah, um, definitely. Um, you want, you want them to be able to, to demonstrate that they, we talk about architecture and software architecture, and that's a, it's a really deep topic and one that I'm only semi-qualified to, uh, uh, to, uh, bloviate on, but I would be asking that developer, what sort of architecture do they like? How do they use APIs in their architecture? How do they use services? How do they envision data coming in and out of the application? And like most developers at that level, they'll grab a marker and go to the whiteboard and start writing stuff out. And it's going to look a lot like Lego bricks with arrows flying around. I know you've seen those diagrams. You've probably, you know, edited a few yourself. Um, but that's really the logic of how all of the pieces talk to one another. So, yeah, your back end guys would normally take care of that. Okay. And so, so talk about like ongoing is your service then uh, talk about you for a second and your, your company mm -hmm. and, and how you help mm -hmm. SaaS uh, founders. So are, are you helping just build that initial product or are you just like in, embedded your resources are just embedded part of the team forever? Like how does, how does it, how does your service work? Um, a little bit of both for forever is a long time. Uh, I would say that the majority of, of the people that come to us to develop our, their product, we, we do a lot of SaaS products. We do other products like IOT products and that sort of thing. Um, but if they're early stage companies and they're non-technical founders, normally we become a turnkey service for them. But then as they gain traction in the market, maybe they get that first round of VC money or something like that. I just had a, I spent two days with one of our clients that's in exactly this uh, phase. Um, they start to add staff on their own and then we just transition some or all of that um, work to them. We don't, at Codexitos, our goal isn't really to lock anybody into forever. Uh, we like it. I mean, a, a number of our clients have said, hey, this, this just solves a lot of headaches for me. I don't have the management overhead of, of taking care of a technical team. Um, and we keep the cost in line, the economics work out for them. Other people have us build it and turn everything over to their own team. And that's cool too. I mean, we're, we're happy to help. Yeah. Uh, so we do a little bit of both, maybe kind of a non-answer. 
we've actually helped some of our clients find their own own resources. I mean, we're not we're not really in that business, but uh, you know, whatever whatever yeah. it takes. So it, I would I'd imagine for like a non technical person though, like they would like you know hire you and just like that's that's their development team, right? Like ongoing for as long as they're in business, like they don't want the headache of hiring their own people. Is that common in your business? Yeah, it's it's common. I think what happens, Costa, is that over over time, as as the founder gets more comfortable with getting their product built and they're building their company at the same time, because you remember they're busy doing a lot of other stuff, they start to understand what what's of strategic value for them. And usually a front end and a back end developer and a QA person isn't that strategic in the, in, you know, the long, long view of the business. And, you know, I've started a number of companies and I'm an entrepreneur and we want them to be efficient with their money. And so uh, we have a client in, in the East coast that the, the product design and the product, what we would call the product owner is critical to them. And so they, they employ those people and those people are really, really good. Um, so they do a lot of that design UX UI stuff because they want their look and they consider that to be a strategic advantage. Cool. Um, so it's not just a matter of, Oh, I'm going to go hire my lead tech person and then start hiring developers. Uh, we provide the, kind of runway and a test pad for them to understand what's really important to them. Yeah, it makes sense. So if, if you're a non-technical founder and, and uh, they're, they're going out to just wanted to do this on their own, right? Like hire their own people. Like, yep. What's some like general advice, things to be mindful of and, and look out for um, when making these hires, particularly on the development uh, side? Yeah. Hmm. That I I imagine it's a very like tough, open-ended question. I know you covered a lot of it as well, but just like any tidbits or, or advice for people. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would I would look for somebody who really understood the business problem and the business space. Um. Like our CTO and my friends who are CIOs or CTOs, they understand the business that they're in and they understand what's important from a business perspective. The technical stuff that works itself out, like picking a language or, you know, writing the algorithm or whatever it might be, that'll work itself out. But my first hire would be somebody who understood the business and the problem and my customer as well as I did. Uh, and they just happened to, you know, know how to code or know how to manage people who code. So I would say that's the first thing I'd look for is I, if you want to call them the CTO, great. You know, they probably want some kind of title like that. Um, but I'd make sure it was a business partner with a deep technical uh, savvy. The trick is that that person is going to almost certainly then immediately want to hire a couple coders. So the, so the scenario like here in Austin, 
would go like this. Uh, I want to bring in a CTO co-founder, technical you know, co-founder. Great. They're going to want equity. Uh, I think right now it looks like the market's usually like 5 to 10% equity for taking that job. You can invest it over a certain period of time. Uh, they're not going to be cheap. A couple hundred thousand dollars kind of to start. Um, and he or she's going to get started and have a lot of great ideas and contribute a lot to the business value. Uh, but then they're going to say, hey, I need some people to code. And let's say I need um, two coders and a designer. Well, those developers are going to be a hundred to $150,000 a piece. And the designer is going to be, you know, here in Austin, uh, which is admittedly a little high, you know, 85 to 125. So bam, there you've got a half million dollar plus in payroll because you hired your technical co-founder and you gave up 10% of your equity. Uh, it's, it's a pretty big tab um, to get a team started like that. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, and so Charles, if someone wants to, to learn more about your business and you, where's the best place uh, to find you? Our website, you know, like everybody, our website, codexitos.com, C-O-D-E-X-I-T-O-S.com. Uh, well, I lost track of my spelling there. Type it a thousand times a day. Um, you know, you can, you drop the link in there. Uh, we actually have a white paper out there on our ebook, I guess, uh, on, um, software development for non-technical founders. And okay, so people perfect. can find that on the website, download it. Um, and we're happy to talk to people. They just send us an, e an email and say, Hey, I want to, I want to kick my idea around. Um, this spring we'll be at South by Southwest again. Uh, so if anybody gets down to Austin for South by Southwest, you can find us there. Nice. Are, um, you, are you based in Austin? Yeah. Our headquarters is in Austin. I'm, I'm in Austin right now. I live here. Uh, and we have uh, about a hundred people in Central America that, that are part of the team. Uh, I, I was going to ask Codexitos. Uh, mm -hmm. It has a, a bit of a, like a Latin uh, flair to it. So I was going to ask if, if your uh, team is based in yeah. In South America, Central America. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and exitos is just Spanish for hits or success or something like that. So if, if you're digging through the album bins, I'm a, I'm a vinyl guy. And if you're digging through the album bins in, in uh, Latin music, you know, you'll see exitos a lot on the titles because it's the greatest hits kind of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. but yeah, we're, our team is all distributed in the Americas. So from, from North America, uh, down into uh, Central America and South America, but uh, I think that also helps Central too, and Eastern time zone. building out like a remote team, which is obviously common nowadays. Uh, being in the same time zone, um, like in, in, like I'm I'm in Toronto myself, so like that Eastern yeah. Pacific time zone area. Time zone super critical. Um, there there are two things that I think are really critical for your listeners to keep in mind. Uh, time zone and convenience. And by that, I mean, like from Toronto, you can get to one of our development centers in, you know, a four hour flight kind of thing. Um, nothing, nothing wrong with doing development work in Europe or Asia. I, I've done it <laughs> a lot. Uh, it's just a long way to go. It's expensive. It's hard travel. 
Uh, and then you got the time zone just syncing up with people. So pay attention to time zones and accessibility. Like if we were going to build an app for you, we'd, we'd want you to either come to Austin and meet some of the team or just come on down and, and meet the whole team in, in our dev studio, one of our studios. And the last thing I guess I would say to your listeners when they're, if they're trying to pick an external partner, uh, I get this question a lot. Like, I don't, how do I pick somebody? Um, I would pick someone based on the style of work, the working style and whether you like them or not. And people are like, what, what do you mean if I like them or not? I mean, it's not price or quality or I'm like, no, it's gotta be, it's a relationship. It takes a long time to build this software and you've got to, you got to be dealing with people that you trust and you like, and you can yell at them and they can yell at you. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's everything about entrepreneurship is a really intimate and personal thing. And this yeah, is no different. I totally agree with that for sure. That's, that's probably like yeah. my number one criteria is like, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're working with this person every single day and it, it's very intimate, like you said, and it's gotta be someone you, you get along with and share similar interests and, you know, it's gotta be a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we evaluate his, again, is kind of an entrepreneur's perspective. Uh, we evaluate our potential clients through that same lens. Yeah. And there have been not a lot, but there, there are instances where we just politely tell people we don't yeah. think we're the right company for yeah. them. Um, cause man, it, I mean, nobody, nobody wants to wreck someone else's life, right? I mean, we don't, we don't want, uh, unhappy clients and clients don't want to be unhappy. So, yeah. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Well, well, Charles, this was uh, really insightful. I think a lot of people listening are going to get a ton of value from this, especially if you're a non-technical founder like myself. So this was very yeah. helpful for me as well, but, um, I, I really do appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll put in all uh, your, your links in the show notes as well, wherever this is posted. And, um, you know, we, we should definitely do this again sometime. Yeah, I'm happy to. And we could get our CTO to do something a little more technical if you want to dig into that kind of stuff. But I love the show and I love what you're doing out there to help entrepreneurs. So any way we can contribute to the community, we're happy to help. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it again, Charles, and uh, all the best. All right. Thank you. All right.